The following morning show interview was initially recorded and broadcast back in 2007. It is not every day that I have the pleasure and honor of having on the other end of, a, of the line a Pulitzer Prize winning author. And uh, in this case, it is the author of a, of a little book called The Color Purple. Perhaps you've heard of it. I just can't say how excited I am to be speaking today with writer Alice Walker with so much beautiful uh, work to her credit, and most recently, a book which we are going to be talking about, uh, intended for children, but a book really that uh, just about everybody needs to take in hand, a book called Why War is Never a Good Idea. It's published by HarperCollins, an, an absolutely beautifully written and, and illustrated book, and we will be talking with Alice Walker for the next few minutes about this book. And uh, Alice Walker, we welcome you to the morning show. Thank you. I want to ask you, first of all, I think there are a whole lot of people, including people that really have never even been authors before, who nonetheless undertake the, the, the task of, of writing a book for children, because it just seems like a relatively simple thing to do, and, uh, and maybe don't even realize just how challenging it is, that it's not nearly as simple a matter as it might seem to be on the surface. I wonder for you, because uh, I, I don't know this about your great career, uh, how much writing for children you specifically have done and, uh, and, and what that experience was like whenever it was that you first undertook the challenge. Uh, well, this is my fifth book for children, and I, so I've been thinking about them you know, all along. Uh, and I like to think uh, that I'm writing also to the child and everyone, and especially to the child and myself, because she is still a child, and she still sees the world with a lot of the wonder uh, that I came into to this existence with. Uh, so I have a great faith that children can, can grasp and, and interact with and, and, and be enlivened. Uh, by what I write uh, for for that child, the, the child that is is you know a child and the child that's in the adult. How does it compare for you as a writer? I guess maybe I'm thinking more on the on the technical end. Is it is it a, a simpler matter for you to write an essay or a novel like The Color Purple for for people essentially your own age? I mean, for your fellow adults, or or do you very comfortably fit into this uh, this different role of of writing for for children as your intended audience? Well, I have to say, it's sort of a surprise to me because, you know, I, I didn't really think that much about writing for children. It's just that as time has gone on, uh, I have wanted to communicate certain things that I feel, you know, I could share with them as someone who is much older. Uh, I, I've taken my place as an elder on the planet, and, and I, I know and feel my responsibility to be to the young, uh, and to share what I, I know here, you know, I've learned here. Uh, for instance, that we're all connected, that it's all about interbeing. Uh, in fact, the, the, the book that I did with Stefano Vitale before this one is called There is a Flower at the Tip of My Nose Smelling Me. Uh, and that was written after walking through the forest on an old logging trail with my dog uh, one morning and just being overwhelmed with the fact that I belong to this universe. I mean, it's just the most amazing thing when you realize uh, the magic that that is, that we belong to this enormous, impossibly huge, magical 
thing that we don't really understand, <laughs> even though we study it. And, and, of course, that leads us beautifully into this latest book, and again a collaboration with Stefano Vitale, a book called Why War is Never a Good Idea. Uh, you have written about that in a very interesting way. Uh, I mean, there are a lot of very obvious ways that one might might put that message across, but you have done so by uh, talking about uh, things that wouldn't seem to immediately have anything to do with war, which is, of course, part of the point. Um, tell us where you got the idea for talking about this important topic in this way. Well, I was researching uh, Afghanistan because the, the government, our government, was planning to bomb it after 9-11, and I wanted to know who was there uh, and the condition of the, of the, you know, the people and the, the, the land. And I discovered that there were already uh, 700,000, uh, which was the population of San Francisco a few years ago, uh, disabled orphans. And so I was thinking about the ones who couldn't see, the ones who couldn't walk, the ones who couldn't crawl, the ones who didn't have anybody to look after them. And I, I, I just knew that uh, I needed to make some small contribution to the understanding among children that when they grow up and they harm other countries, their children, they're just like themselves. Uh, and to see war as the enemy, not the people, but to see war itself as the enemy because uh, it assaults the earth and the earth is, is our common earth home. I've heard it said and, and believe this so much to be true that so much about the quality of a book has to do with the way it begins and its very first words. And the very first words of your book are so wonderful. Before we share them with the audience, I, I wonder, were they the first thing that came to you as you wrote this book? Yes. Hmm. And may I read them, or do you want to read them? Would you read them? I think that would be wonderful to the, hear you read the, them. Uh, the, the opening uh, page of this book says this. Though war speaks every language, it never knows what to say to frogs. I'm intrigued that the book starts this way. I mean, I love that opening. It's interesting when you, when you talk about how, in a sense, the genesis of this book was thinking about the, the people and the creatures of Afghanistan, a country not particularly known for its frogs, mm -hmm. uh, but nonetheless, that's where this particular story uh, begins. Mm -hmm. And oh, I bet they have some frogs. Oh, I'm sure someplace, but uh, I mean, it's not, of course, immediately what we picture. Exactly. Um, uh, did anything get you thinking about frogs in particular? Uh, I like them, and, and I, I sometimes live in the country, and, and they're constant, you know, in the, when the rain is coming and in the evenings, uh, the big bullfrogs, and when I go swimming, you know, they all hop out of the pond, uh, and sometimes when the very brave ones will get back in, and I imagine them swimming beneath me, looking up at me, and thinking of me as a really big frog. Um, but it, it's just my sense that if you, you know, harm the, the planet anywhere, you're likely to be harming all of these creatures that normally people don't even consider. They don't think about bombing, you know, donkeys and camels uh, and goats and chickens and sheep. And all of these beings are destroyed and maimed and wounded and harmed. Uh, and I would like children to, to think about them mm. so that they, when they grow up, when they go to these places, they, mm. they have it in their consciousness. We're, of course, at a bit of a disadvantage. Uh, 
in that we're, we're of course speaking over the radio so people are not able to see Stefano Vitale's breathtakingly beautiful uh, uh, pictures, images. Mm -hmm. This first page, this first spread is of a very idyllic uh, scene, it appears, in, in the Far East someplace with the words that I just spoke. Then we turn to the next page, and that same sort of idyllic scene is very brutally uh, invaded by a huge metallic dark wheel that looks like the wheel of a truck kind of coming straight through. And you write, picture frogs beside a pond holding their annual pre-rainy season convention. They do not see war, huge tires of a camouflaged vehicle about to squash them flat. I mean, that's a, that's a very brutal picture. And what you're, of course, trying to suggest is that this is just one other cost of war that we often do not consider. Well, we don't, and that's to, to our, you know, unfortunate situation, uh, because the more compassion that we can generate for what is happening to other people, the more compassion we can have for ourselves. And it's that compassion that then transforms us and changes us into people who can extend peace uh, to the world, because peace is what we have internally. What we are extending to the world now is war because uh, the people who are making the war obviously are at war in themselves. Hmm. A couple points are made along the way. I mean, along with thinking about frogs and donkeys and so on as, as other victims of war. One thing you say uh, in, in, in another point in the book is, though war has a mind of its own, war never knows who it is going to hit. I guess that is another way... Uh, to be thinking about something that's known as collateral damage. Exactly, exactly. And collateral damage is, you know, beyond the, the, the people that we think of as being, you know, expendable. Uh, it goes into, you know, rivers and, and streams and trees and uh, food, you know, food sources and gardens. Uh, those are all those places that war never knows who it's going to hit. It can destroy anything. I mean, it is aimless. You came up with another very intriguing uh, way of, of talking about this when you wrote, war has bad manners. War eats everything in its path, and what it doesn't eat, it dribbles on. Uh, I mean, that's so fascinating. Uh, what an interesting image of, of warfare. Do you remember how that came to you? Well, it's just looking at it and, and understanding that the toxins produced by war eventually, uh, like, like saliva, like dribble, will go under the ground and into the water system. And then people will have to deal with that, drink the water and, and become diseased and, and possibly uh, die from it. Hmm. And there is no new water, so that water is the same water that eventually is rained on us, uh, rained on other people around the world. Hmm. One thing that intrigues me also about the book is that um, I think a lot of people writing a book like this would really want to end it with a, a, a very transcendent, radiant uh, image of, of hope. And the last spread would be people joining hands on a rainbow in the sky. And, uh, and you choose not to do that. I mean, you end the book beautifully but but not quite as positively as as some authors might do that. I mean, you are 
you are willing to leave us with kind of an unsettling message at the end, and I'm sure that is no accident. No, I'm leaving us with the consequences of our behavior, and, and that is a lesson in itself, that if you, you know, no matter how nice and how good you are or you feel you are, uh, it's possible that you may find yourself in war and you may find yourself inflicting things upon people or having things inflicted upon you that are really quite horrible, and that the end result of all of it is that you inhabit a polluted place uh, that you know whose water you 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 dare not even drink. Hmm. That is the only water there. Your final words of the book are: Now suppose you become war. It happens to some of the nicest people on earth, and one day, you have to drink the water in this place. Exactly. That's where you leave it. Mm-hmm. I want to ask you about the fact that. The title of your book makes a very strong statement, Why War is Never a Good Idea. Mm-hmm. Some might see those words and, uh, and take it to, to where it seems to take us, that we never, ever, ever should have war. Is, is that what you believe? I mean, do you, do you, do you honestly believe that, that, that war absolutely never should occur? Or is it simply that if a war becomes terribly necessary for some reason that we, that we think about uh, some of these consequences, which we can be very cavalier about. I mean, um, w- w- which of it is? Uh, which of those is it? I believe in self-defense, absolutely, uh, and I believe in you know caring for for people, and sometimes that leads to conflict. Uh, so I'm not saying that it's not sometimes necessary, but it actually, even in those cases, is not really a good idea. It's just an idea that might have to be implemented. Hmm. Uh, and the reason it's not a good idea is because it attacks our, our home here, which is Earth. Every war is a war against the planet. Uh, and so this is the only place we have to live. So I think future thinking, if we have a future, uh, will actually understand that very clearly, and it will just become taboo. You, hmm. you won't go there. Hmm. We have just a few moments left, I'm afraid, but I feel like I need to give you one more opportunity to just say a word about your brilliantly talented illustrator, Stefano Vitale, and maybe just a brief word about your collaboration. Well, this is uh, an amazing painter. He's an Italian uh, who lives in Venice, uh, Italy. Uh, we were brought together by, our, by my editor at uh, HarperCollins, and I'm just as delighted as can be with his work. It's just glowing and beautiful. And it helps support the words uh, of this poem and uh, the, the message to children because they can see how radiantly beautiful this earth is and the beautiful things that people make, you know, their houses and, uh, you know, their boats and, and all of the things that people do so well. Uh, and so they, they can be really moved by the beauty as they ponder the destructiveness of war. The book again, Why War is Never a Good Idea, published by HarperCollins and Alice Walker. I thank you so much for the honor of speaking with you, and I thank you for writing this beautiful book. Best wishes to you. Bye.